0: I mean, one of the consistent things that we saw on our trail, on our hike, was the number of old people that would come up to us and say, and it was almost always old people, they would say, I wish we would have done this. If I could do it over differently, I would do exactly what you're doing. And then they'd like look at the kids and say something like, your parents get it. Or they'd say something like that. Like I said, it was always the old people. And it was really fascinating to see that, that here are these people that have reached the end of their life. You know, they've done the thing, they've retired, they've made the money, they've traveled. And here they are saying that this is the thing they wish they would have done more of, which is walking with their
1: kids.
2: Technical glitches and all, welcome to the Hiking Through podcast. I'm Erin Egan, and this is the podcast where I get to pull up a seat at the campfire and have a conversation about all things thru-hiking. And today's guest is the family, known off-trail as the Crawford family. They hiked the AT together in 2018 and are the largest family to successfully complete the trail, with kids at the time ranging in age from 2 to 17. In this episode, I talk with Ben Crawford, a.k.a. Dad, about the family's thru-hike, how the kids kind of became his heroes, and the release of his book, 2,000 Miles Together, in which he documents their hike, and which can now be found on Amazon, and for this first week of release in November 2020, is at a special, special hiker trash price. You can find this episode and all previous episodes at hiking-through.com. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts and all the other podcast places. Enjoy my conversation with the family. Hey, Ben, this is Aaron.
0: Hey, Aaron. So
2: welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you. Good to be here.
2: And who do I just have you today? Or is there other people also back there?
0: No, it's just me today. Okay.
2: Perfect. I take everybody else is getting their uh, their exercise on or something?
0: Well, Cammie is cleaning the house. That's her favorite <laughs> thing. And the kids are playing outside for the most part.
2: Nice. I like it. Whose idea was it
0: to do the AT? Well, it's kind of a tricky question because it was originally my idea, like maybe 17 years ago. <laughs> I, was, I was more the adventure, and that was when we first discovered the AT, was when we were on a bike trip, and we happened to stay in this garage in Damascus and there was these hikers there and we were you know asking them what the heck are you guys doing and they were asking what the heck are you doing and they said we're doing this thing called the Appalachian Trail we had never heard of that so immediately then I wanted to do it so I tried to schedule it for a year or two after that and it never really worked and my wife Cammie we had been married for like a year or two or three at this point and we had a one-year-old or expecting our second kid, she was not into it at this <laughs> she she did not grow up uh, backpacking or doing anything outdoors, but then fast forward um maybe sixteen years, I guess you know our hike was two years ago, so mm-hmm. yeah, fast forward a bit, and she was actually the number one driver that got us out there, so a lot changed in that time period apparently and i was I was really excited about doing it but I don't think I would have been able to push for it like she did. What do you mean? I don't know. I mean, I think in our relationship, someone's got to be motivated to like convince the other one. And I wasn't like hard to convince. Like I I had it in the back of my head this whole time. But it's one thing having it in the back of your head, oh, I'd like to through hike. It's another thing putting it on the calendar and canceling everything in your life for six months. And she was watching YouTube videos (laughs) online. (laughs) And I think that's what finally made it like, you know, it has to go from one of those things that's like from my want to do that to like, Oh, I can't not do that. Yeah. And I just think it made that jump for her at that time.
2: But it wasn't just the two of you that had to be on board with this. There were, there were six other humans who also had to be on board with this.
0: Yeah. For the most part. <laughs> um Yeah. So, I mean, that was a while ago. So I don't even remember how we told the kids. I mean, we probably have it documented somewhere, but, you know, we told our kids and in some ways it's valuable telling them. And in some ways, I mean, for most of them, our kids, you know, because our kids at the time were probably the oldest was 16 and the youngest was like one, you know, (laughs) well, when we, when we told them, yeah, our youngest was two when we ended up hiking the trail. Um, but he turned two right before we got on the trail. So when we told them, you know, like our five year old, she didn't, she was five at the time. She didn't know, like, they don't know what 2200 miles is or Georgia or Maine or, you know, a through hike. Like they don't know what they're signing up for. So,
1: yeah,
0: I mean, we, we kind of said it's like a really long walk. Uh, but we gave our oldest two the choice before the trail. And, we ended up giving uh, our third child the choice on the trail uh, in some difficult moments. But ultimately, everyone chose it that could, and our younger kids are kind of, like, along for the ride. It was like, I mean, our mindset is, like, parents don't make going to school optional, and we don't really do school so much. So it's like, well, this is our life if you want to be a part of it, and you're kind of stuck in our family for now, like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you kind of opted in reality yeah I, I don't know if they'd call it that but uh yeah they were opted in at least so so basically you gave you gave
2: dove and eden a choice of whether or not to do it yes and they basically said what like yes we're in we'll try it
0: well it took a week and it was it was kind of scary from my perspective because I really, really wanted them to do it. I mean, we had never spent six months away from our kids. So it wasn't, we didn't want to like leave them behind, but we also knew that if we forced them to do it from the beginning, that anytime something goes wrong, they're going to look at us and say, you made me do this. Yeah. So yeah, we gave them a week to decide. And we said like my parents, we own property where my parents live basically in our backyard. So It would have been pretty easy. Uh, We said, you can find someone to stay with. We can help you with that. Or you can come. And back then, their biggest concern was uh, social, I think, like leaving their friends for that long. Mm -hmm. I think there was some like complaining about the physical nature of the hike, but it was more like leaving friends. And But after a week, they said, I mean, it was kind of like I I figured with 90% certainty that they were going to choose to do it, but they came back and said, Yeah, we're going to do it. But it really did make all the difference then. I mean, we could have not given them that choice and just said, You're going to do it, and probably arrived at the same conclusion in a way. But I think it would have made, you know, when things get hard and they're like, Well, you made me do it. We're like, No, we didn't. Like, you didn't have to come. Like, you chose this. So we're going to help you. We're going to support you in your decision, but it was your decision. Uh, so we kind of, having them own it made a world of difference for us later on.
2: When you say it uh, made a difference, meaning when it did get hard, them having chosen it helped with that?
0: Yes, yes, exactly. Because the same kind of situation arose in New York with our son, Seven. His name is Seven, and he was, man, he's, I think he's 15 now, so he must have been 13 or 14 on the trail. And he was complaining a lot. I mean, like every day he, and they would like, they would corner my wife and complain to her because they knew that I wouldn't really take it much, but she would. So they would complain to her when she was alone and it was wearing her down. Yeah. And finally she gave him the choice, And we, we had a talk with him and we said, listen, we're coming up to New York city. You have two options. You can go home. We'll pay for a train to go home. Or you can stay and not complain. Because if you stay and not complain, it'll be your choice then. I found that 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 just made a huge world difference. You know, I mean, everyone else that's out there, like adults, they all chose it. You know, so having kids the size of our group was a really interesting dynamic because not everyone in our group, like, did exactly choose it. You know, like our Mm -hmm. six-year-old didn't choose it, per se. (laughs) (laughs) No. So... Yeah, that may I mean, there's all sorts of like the parenting dynamics are just like to me. It's like really fun and challenging because it really reveals what's at the heart of a lot of our parenting, whether it's strengths or weaknesses. Well, speaking of was, that, it was hard.
2: I can only imagine. But you know, speaking of the strengths and weaknesses of of the parenting of it all, how did that? Go like what? What were the strengths that you found, and what were some of the, the things you maybe needed to change in order to make it through the whole thing,
0: with our parenting,
2: or or the dynamics with the kids maybe.
0: Well, there's a couple things that come to my mind. Um, one with the parenting is we've learned, and we learned on the trail very quick. Kids don't care about Mount Katahdin. <laughs>
1: like,
0: you know, <clears throat> for me as an adult and as like a bucket list type glory seeker in a way like that is iconic to me, that that sign on the top of Mount Katan. So getting there will motivate me in these hard times for them. They don't have that um, or at least they didn't. You know, there's no. they never saw the postcard. They never cared. So we had to create all sorts of micro goals, I guess, mm-hmm. like from the hour to hour basis, sometimes the minute by minute, but the hour to hour of like saying, Hey, we're going to take a break in an hour or let's try and get to this road crossing or let's try and get to this hotel in two or three days. So our trip, you know, and I've, I've, heard other people say this, and it really was one of the mindsets that was the most vital to us was that seeing the Appalachian trail as a series of two to three or four day journeys, mini trips instead of, like, one giant six-month trip was really helpful for us because that we could do. We could say, oh, we're going to be at a hotel in two days. Then at first it felt like cheating, and then we're kind of like, fuck it. You know, like, we're out here. (laughs) Like, we earned the (laughs) hotel. If someone's going to call it cheating, like, I'd like to see them out there with their kids, you know. (laughs) So that was one thing. But the other thing in terms of seeing the kids thrive, this one I was really blown away by because – after a couple months out on trail, we started to get a reputation and people would come up to us and they would say things like, Oh, we've heard about you guys. You guys are a well-oiled machine. So it didn't feel like it to us at first. And cause we knew what went on behind the scenes. And, and I'll never forget this one time I walked in a camp and I think I saw this picture of what they were talking about. Dove, who was our oldest, she Pulled out the dinner food that she had bought and carried for the last couple of days and started making dinner for the entire family in one pot. And then, memory, our 12 year old, she went and started gathering water for everyone and filling up everyone's water bottles, which is a big task for, you know, eight people. Yeah. And then, uh, seven and Eden started setting up the tents and they set up the tents for both of us like they usually did. And then, uh, you know, oftentimes Cammy and I would kind of like try and figure out the maps and try and figure out like our progress for the day and make plans all while Flea watched Rainier. You know, Flea was our six-year-old. She was watching our two-year-old at the time. <laughs> so when I saw that I was like, Oh, that's what they're talking about. And I guess, you know, contrast that with other people who, you know, when you get into camp, you're worn out. You have to go make dinner, and then you have to, like, go get your water. And, like, you don't even want to, like, get up at all. And I, I was always, like, really uh, – it took me a while to figure out what was so unique about that because I think people were expecting when they heard, oh, you took your kids on the Appalachian Trail, they figured that we did everything for them. Yeah. and just, And they, like, hiked, and we carried all the water and food, and we did all the cooking, and we did all the shopping. And they would be like, that would wear me out. And I, the more I thought about it, i was like, oh, that would wear me out too. Like that that thought never even crossed my mind. I don't think I could do that. But the way we had done it, and I guess to answer your question, what we realized in terms of parenting was that the kids liked contributing to the journey. They liked being in a position of value where they could add value and help the group. And, you know, if they were gone, they'd be missed. Yes. So I, I think parenting, we had seen this model where it's almost like kids, people think kids like to be weighted on hand and foot and then it wears everyone out. Um, But one of the things we learned on the Appalachian Trail, saw it more than anywhere in our life was that, no, they actually want to contribute. Oftentimes what's keeping them from from contributing was our mindset, not so much their ability.
2: It it was funny because I was watching your videos and, and that organization thing, I could totally see it coming out. And it very much reminded me of watching Oh my god! It's so been so long now, but it was it was of uh, quintuplets, and oh, wow. the well, but it's very similar, I think. You know, except they're all at the same age. But that was their key to success: is that everybody had a task, everybody knew exactly what they were going to be responsible for. You know, they knew what the rules were, they knew what the expectations were.
0: Yeah, it was in a way, it was funny because having that many people in our group, it forced those kinds of decisions. And I think in one sense, our group was, like, the most inefficient group out there. And in another <laughs> sense, we were, like, the most efficient group out there. You know, just because having that large group, it forced these, like, systems that we were always creating that, like, maximized everything, you know? I mean, and we had the manpower to do it. Yeah.
2: <laughs> you had a small army. We did. I mean, I guess, I don't know. what
0: What is eight people? Is that almost a baseball team or something? Yeah. Yeah. We had something. But yeah, there was that moment early on where it was like, are we going to trust the kids to do this? Because it was really a day two or three that I was like, I had been the only person that ever cooked there with our family. I was the one that knew the stove. But I mean, you know, you, you have these like pots of water and they're balancing precariously on these three tripod flimsy stove that's balancing on melting frozen mud. And I'm going to pass that off to my 16 year old, you know, I mean, because if dinner spills, it's not like you Uber eats another one. It's like, (laughs) you're hungry for the night. So that was like, in my mind, I was like, no, like she, no one can handle this except for me. And continually again and again and again throughout the trip we saw, I mean, we could have like lived that way, but that would have been brutal for me.
1: Yeah.
0: And the kids continued to rise the occasion every time we let them.
2: Well, I, I saw the, place where Dove took over a little bit of carrying Rainier and then you guys were also mentioning that the other kids then also kind of or the older ones took over you know half hour carries or things like that which also seemed to have helped everybody.
0: Yeah that was a huge shift in our trip that was in Shenandoah National Park in Virginia and I mean I was dying I didn't know it at the time but I mean I would take these naps, you know, where I would set the alarm for six minutes and I would fall asleep for probably five of them. It take me a minute to fall asleep and then the alarm would wake me up. And I, that's how, and I had lost, I think I lost 30 pounds in the first three to four weeks. I forget what it was exactly, but my leg was going really numb because Rainier's pack, if I remember, I think he was 44 pounds. So, and I was the only one carrying him. Cami started off the first like, Hiawasi, which was I think three days in, and then she was going too slow. And we like we just didn't know how it was gonna be out there and which pack was gonna be heaviest. So finally, from that point on, I started carrying them for months. And uh, and I was dying and I was the weakest link. I was just going slow all the time. And but we thought, what can we do about it? You know, I mean it's like I'm the dad, I should carry the heaviest pack, like no one else can. I mean, I thought it never even crossed our mind like put it on other people and all the time, like, I mean, we have in the back of our minds, if we need to make it like a ton, we need to be doing like 14, 15 miles a day. Yeah. And we're getting like 10, 11, 12, you know,
1: maybe, I mean, not even
0: that, because when you count on the zeros, we're getting really like 10, 11 and all the tweaks that we're doing, like getting out of camp, like, you know, five minutes earlier, 10 minutes earlier, skipping breaks. I and mean, it's, it's saving us like minutes and adding like 5% to our mileage. But then when Dove, like we arrived at this, they like wanted milkshakes at at Shenandoah. And they were like giving me crap for going slow. And I said, fine, you carry him. And I was joking. (laughs) And she said, okay, I will. And she did. And she's like, she's about as stubborn as me. I don't know if she might claim that she's more stubborn, but I don't think so. She might have, like, it might have been painful. But if it was, she didn't let on at all. And she like went, she like went off and we didn't, we never saw her until we got <laughs> to the, the wayside where they sell the milkshakes. Uh-huh. And I was like, kept on thinking like, okay, you're going to come back crying to me and tell me how right I was. Well, it like never happened. You know, the exact opposite happened. Like kind of, as you mentioned, then the other kids started carrying rain air. So then like now we're in a rotation where the four of us, me and the three oldest kids, start carrying Rainier like 30 minutes out of every two hours, which was a huge difference from carrying him straight through. I mean, I feel like that was like a 20% addition to our time or our efficiency. And, and besides that, it was just like, I mean, it was really humbling moment as a dad to kind of pass off this tough guy baton or this tough guy job that I thought only I could handle to my oldest daughter Who, like, nailed it out of the park, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that was a huge moment for us, uh, both, you know, with betrayal and with the relationships. You know, everyone started hanging out with Rainier more at that point. And and even with my, I don't know what to call it, I guess it would be, like, parenting uh, ideas of just seeing, like, oh, maybe I don't know, like, what my kids are capable of. And maybe I'm holding them back more than I thought.
2: Yeah, that was probably a little startling, but also welcoming, I guess.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, it was really, it was really startling. Yeah, I sat in my tent and I cried that night. It was was in Shenandoah and there was like a thunderstorm. I was just like, it was just one of those moments where, you know, I feel like in regular society, we really, really like don't need our kids. Like they're kind of, they've kind of played a role of being a pain in the ass. Like when you read the memes online, like you hear about teenagers and they like, you know, they play your video games, they use your electricity and eat your food and they ask for money. And that's like kind of view that people have of kids. Well, on the trail, you know, we needed our kids and we couldn't have done it without them. So I think when people have this mindset, they're like, oh, we, you know, the parents, Motivated six kids the entire way to Katahdin. Like that's not a very accurate picture of what happened. I mean, there was moments, and we did have to provide some high level of oversight and organization, but it was not like we provided the the brute strength to get there. It was a there was a synergy in the group that that just paints a picture of. So, and and I think maybe that was a transition moment where. Cause I kind of thought it was going to have to be more us parents, but I think they kind of took over in some ways that I hadn't really expected, which is like true of our whole life, actually. Because <laughs> coming back from the trail. I mean, they're becoming adults, like now Dove's 18 and,
1: yeah,
0: and it would, I think that type of relationship would have only lasted so long if I'm like, Hey kid, you need me, you know, to make it in life. And eventually she's like, fuck you. No, I don't. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, you do. Like, you know, that trail helped me to let go. Well, I guess that
2: that's a nice little segue into how did completing the trail change you guys as a family and also, I guess, change the kids perspective on themselves and what they can accomplish and, and their position, I guess, in the family.
0: Yeah, that's a great question. We were actually out at a restaurant this morning and that was the, I had the privilege of like um, they wrote the answer to that question because we we're writing this book and and maybe I'll just read what one of the things that Dove said because it really struck me because I was I've actually wondered the same thing like we hear there's a lot of joking about it I mean both positive and negative I'll just read just one sentence that Dove said the AP made me stronger more patient more tough more open minded and free. And I wouldn't have guessed that about her. But what I sense, like, just from watching them is, you know, I don't know if I, ironically, I don't know if I really consider our family, like, an outdoor family. That's not the most important thing to me. It's like, I don't know, society sucks. Like, leaving it be outside. And that's not a main thing that we teach our kids. But, you know, I like them to know that they can do hard things if given the option. And I feel like our kids, they know that. Like my, uh, I guess she's our youngest, but she's, um, what is she, She's was with her age and I think she's nine now, Leah. She's run, I think three or four marathons, you know, and hikes the AT, uh, but you know, she's just like a little girl and, but she doesn't know that she can't, you know, it's weird to me because we've had these videos of us running a marathon or hiking and people's first response is like, I could never do that. Which first of all, I don't agree with. Because how would you know? And second of all, like, you already kind of lost by the time you say that. But I feel like my kids, they, like, at least in terms of this type of thing, that, that's just like not in their vocabulary. Or they don't even know that they've always known that they could, I guess. Um, right. Now, I don't even care if they choose to do it. But so I think that has been one of the biggest shifts. And I feel like, you know, another thing is, and this is just like, one of the glories of through hygiene, I suppose we doing something extraordinary in our society is it shows you that there's more, you know, to life than racking up Starbucks cold stars. Although that I do have a lot of Starbucks cold stars. So I, I don't think that's so you know, a <laughs> also, I don't want to just the Starbucks cold stars, but you know, so there's money and size of house and fancy cars and, And that's cool, but I really wanted our kids to know that there's like a more valuable layer beneath it all. And sometimes you can't experience that until you strip it all away. And having spent time on the AT, you know, they talk again and again and again about the friends they met and the food that they received and the experience that they had and the feelings that they had and the teamwork that they went through. And I'm so happy that we had six months of that where it wasn't like – our parent and Once again, I'm against those things. I just feel like if that's your perspective of childhood, then I feel like that would be fairly limiting.
1: Yeah.
2: Well, it's so interesting that you say that, because, I mean, you have one, two, three, four daughters. And I know it's a big topic now about the... You know, culturally or whatever, kind of the, the restrictions or the self imposed restrictions that we put on girls and women sometimes by, by not saying, yeah, you can go out and do the scary things. You can be afraid and do it anyway. Yes, it may hurt, but that's just part of it. That shouldn't stop you from doing something. And you've now taken your four daughters out on doing something that was very hard and probably painful on occasion but it made them stronger. It made them more open, more powerful as girls. And I would expect as women when they, as they get older, um, which is a pretty amazing thing.
0: Yeah. It's really cool to watch. I mean, yeah, I don't know what I thought being a dad to teenage daughters would be, but I kind of always got the impression that it would suck. (laughs) I mean, that's what we were always told. Like everyone. You know, because you're laughing, you're a new dad, and people are like, wait till they're 16, you know, yeah. or wait 15 years. And there's kind of this, like, doomsday attitude about it all. So kind of a lot of our experience has, I think, been giving the middle finger to that also and mm-hmm. saying, like, we always believed it could be better than that. And in our experience, watching our teenage daughters and son um, yeah. and even toddlers, you know, I mean, people have viewpoints on how shitty all those stages are for whatever reason and I think we've just been in a process of reclaiming that and instead of accepting what society says at face value like wanting to discover for ourselves like what could be amazing and life-changing and it's been we've been blown away like I think the Appalachian Trail surpassed our wildest dreams for what could have happened and I mean like we we started off the 18 not even sure if we were going to film uh, cause we made these, you know, vlogs, and, and by the end, I was like, I'm so glad we filmed. And then we started off the AT be like, oh yeah, there's nothing, there's not, there's not going to be anything worth to write about because we're going to be filming. It's like, what's the point in writing? But then after we finished, like so many people asked us during the trip. And then by the time we got finished, we were like, oh, we need to write about this. Even if it's just for ourselves, but it was so much more valuable. My point of saying this is so much more valuable than we thought it was going to be that I, I just couldn't have imagined that up front
2: yeah well i think my analogy currently because i'm i'm heading out to the pct uh in the beginning of april and you know i i hear a lot of people obviously and because i'm doing this podcast and i'm talking to people and they and a lot of them talk about both the pain but they also talk about the transformation and those things are really hard to grasp before you've felt it. Do you know what I'm saying? Like you can say the words or people can say those words, but you know, the word pain is relative. What does that really mean? (laughs) The pain, the word transformation is really relative. What does that really mean? How does that really inhabit you? It's very hard to, to transfer that, translate that.
0: Totally. And I think if you knew, I think you would say, oh, like, you know, if you knew what pain you'd experience for parts of the trail, but for us, I don't feel like you need to know what you're going to experience You just need to know that, I mean, we have all these phrases, right? Like the trail will prepare you and the trail will provide. And by the time you get to it, you'll be ready for it. It's, that's just what we've experienced. And I mean, it was our, like day three was one of our like low points. Our, everyone was sick and and in, in this cabin that we were in like so early on and we had averaged like we had done like two seven mile days and i just remember thinking like i don't think we have what it takes to finish this trail and it was i think it was true like we didn't have what it takes and we had what it took to take the next step and then we got on the next step and we needed to take the step after that and that was like the process that we signed ourselves for so you just have to be willing to like grow and learn along the way but you. I think a lot of people, they don't go out there because they feel like they need to like train and be all ready to finish the trail on day one. It's like, no, you'll get there by month five. But, you know, so.
2: So just be ready to take that next step and then the next step after that and, and keep it.
0: Yeah. It's like the question, like keeping the question really small was helpful for us. I'm like, you know, there's a couple phrases that I'm sure you've heard quite a bit. Like one is like never quit on a bad day. Yes. But besides that, we, Our family, because we did so many crazy things that people all said was impossible. Like when we ran, when my six-year-old ran a marathon, people said, that's impossible. And we didn't know. Like we actually didn't know when we started. So we were like, well, we got to be ready to bail. And we had asked this question, how do we know when to bail? Like both on the Appalachian Trail or on a marathon? And we said, well, as long as we can take another step, we'll do that. Instead of saying, well, let's run a marathon or let's finish the Appalachian Trail. So that was kind of our model for our through hike was just like well, we don't know if we can do it like we've never done anything like this we don't know if the kids can handle it, if we can handle it we didn't want to like push everyone to exhaustion or failure that wouldn't have been worth it to us but we just said we're going to assess it constantly and as long as we can hike another day or take another step we'll just keep on doing that until we can not and then we're finishing it you know five long months later, but it all came from just asking that question. Staying,
2: staying kind of focused in the present.
0: Yeah, because yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think if you focus too much on the big picture, it becomes too daunting and um, you know, it distracts you from what you can do today anyways.
2: Very true. Very, very true. And and I think as you were saying earlier, like you had to s- stay focused as well for the kids purposes on like the next two to three days. So when you're focused on those smaller goals, you just, you get to the next town, you get to the next whatever. um, And then those things just start to naturally add up on each other.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, we were hyper aware of the kids morale and, you know, for us, it just wouldn't have been a success if we all finished and they all hate us and hiking, you know, that would not have been worth it for us. So we were constantly trying to like, figure out, I mean, I don't know if like hack would be the right word, but how can we make this enjoyable for them? And usually what was enjoyable to them was like, it really was enjoyable to us. It's just like an excuse almost like what oh, we're doing it for the kids. We're going to, we're going to hotel for the kids, but yeah. So going to town every two or three days, everyone loved that. I mean, that was like the highlight of our trip, which I don't know what's. I mean, it's hard to know like how much I let this online conversation get to you because We've, we've, like, read some haters' comments, and they're like, oh, it doesn't even seem like you guys hiked the AT. It seems like you guys did a hotel trip. And I'm like, you know what? Whatever you want to call it, I don't care. Like, if hanging out in the woods makes the hotel seem that awesome, I am totally fine with it. Uh, so we only really did that for probably the first month or two when it was so cold. And then the hotels kind of got replaced by other things, whether it was hostels or people invited us into their homes. But either way, it was a very consistent question we were always asking was, how can we get the kids motivated to want to be interested? Because walking, it's like, it's pretty boring. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, you can't make it like that sexy, especially for a five-year-old, like and like I said, they don't care about Katata, Like that's adults to ha- to be like to put through hiker badge on your Facebook thing or LinkedIn or whatever. It has some sort of like we're conquering some inner demon type of thing. Mm-hmm. Our kids didn't have that. So like half our kids wouldn't have given a shit about quitting like any step along the way. They'd be like, fine, like big deal. <laughs> like, you know, it wasn't like hard for them to walk away like it was for us we had this whole like thing built up around it emotionally. So we had to kind of like work with them to find out what they did care about.
2: Yeah. Well, and how did you guys, you and Cammie reconcile? Because I mean, you obviously had some different needs out of this than the kids did, you know, and, and your journey was very much tied to their journey. So you had to sort of, I would expect reconcile some of your expectations and you're wise for doing it, knowing that that, you know, it, it could be pulled away suddenly.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. Like, I guess, ironically, that didn't come up very much because the thing about doing a thru hike together is you're all experiencing the exact same thing physically. You know, it's a straight line. You walk at one point, you head to the other you got, you all got to start together, you all got to end together, so in that way, it's not I mean besides going different paces mm-hmm. we're all experiencing the same thing, which kind of made it so great because where else in our life, like back at home, you know as dad, quintessential dad, I go make the phone calls and send the emails and work on the money, and family yeah, works on the housework, and the kids work on their school, everyone has like all different goals so but to have that same set of goals was actually a huge uh, blessing. I think that the trail provides us, you know, the one, the one area that I don't know if this is what you're referring to or not, but the one area that that did come up was, and I just, I constantly wondered this, like what would happen if my kid like was struggling physically with something or other, it came up a couple different ways with us. And I felt like maybe we should stop for their personal best interest but mm-hmm. I felt the need to keep on going. It's almost like the uh, Everest like summit fever, you know, like we see that when you've come this far they have this like turnaround time that they're supposed to like all turn around at like 1pm Yeah. But then you can like see the summit, it's like right there. I mean it looks like it's right there. It's really like hours away but you're like, there's no way in how I'm turning around I'm gonna go tag that bitch and like but you should turn around. Like you've agreed to turn around. That's what I was like worried about with the kids. I was like, Oh man, what if I get in this mode where I'm like, you know, we're two weeks from being done and I'm like pushing them harder than they should be going because by now there's so much more at stake. That was what I was really worried about. But we had moments that became a reality uh, or I had to wrestle with that and deal with that. And some of those moments like more pretty, but I think, it was like working through that. That was really kind of a beautiful thing.
2: What do you think for you personally has been the biggest transformation from the trail?
0: You know, the uh, the biggest transformation for me, man, I don't know if I've ever asked that. I I think it would be a respect. I respect my kids more and my wife. But, you know, when you hear like on your podcast and you hear these stories of these single women or men through hiking, mm-hmm. you're like, you're like, whoa, they're a badass. Like, that's what it sounds like. Uh, has, yeah. people that haven't through hike, And, and I think in a way, like seeing my kids out there, although I didn't want to believe that narrative that society has, where, like they're like a bottom feeding teenager, you know, that's just <laughs> life. like, you know, it's hard. Like, Kind of the phones and the Vietnamese, but, you know, it lends itself off to those mindsets. And out there, my kids kind of became, like, heroes to me. I saw them do things. I knew that just as much as they needed me. And there were these days and these goals. You know, I remember this one day when we were in Pennsylvania, and we had this decision where we could – I mean, Pennsylvania is, like, where it's a rock and You're supposed to, like, slow down and keep saying – but then we found out there was, like, a Red Robin at the end of where we could end. The only problem was it, was, it would be a twice mile day. And it was noon and we had only gone, like, six miles oh. or something like that. So we pitched this to the kids. They was just like, you know, really bad idea. But everyone was like, let's do it. And, you know, we roll into Red Robin at 1045, uh, like 15 minutes before it closes walking through some of the most dangerous terrain in the rain uh like a betrayal so far and but we did it you know and we we were all we all felt the same we walked in there it wasn't like us parents were like you know how parents like you see your kids drawing in kindergarten you're like oh good job but really mm-hmm. it's like see it's, it's like only a mom can like that it's like yeah. it sucks drawing sucks this was not like that you're not like my kid in a kindergarten like good job you're like good job. Like you just kicked ass. Like that was hard for me too. And we all did it. Like you don't feel like everyone's on the same playing field. So just being able to, cause like, I feel like so much of parenting is like I'm I, you myself or see myself as like a cop or like uh, the the parent and out there, like we're just people.
2: Everybody was carrying their own weight or pulling their own weight.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And just as valuable to the team as anyone else.
2: Yeah. Now, you, as you guys were hiking up the trail, you know, obviously you're, you're meeting a lot of different people through hikers and so forth. But it feels like you kind of had two very special or particularly special relationships. And, and one of those was with the, the degenerates. Yep. <laughs> um, and the other one was with Fresh Grounds.
0: Yeah, those are definitely two of the relationships that stand out uh, the most. There was a few other Uh, single people. There was a guy named Hops that the kids really took to, and we hiked quite a while with him. Um, But yeah, Fresh Ground and the Degenerates were were very important relationships to us throughout the trail.
2: Now, were you, like with the Degenerates, were you actually hiking with him, or you just ended up crossing paths with them repetitively, over and over, like sort of like yo-yoing back and forth, and who's leading, who's following, and that kind of thing?
0: You know, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that. It's one of the things that's so weird to me that I've learned from through hiking about my personal life was watching how relationships worked on trail. We tried really hard to hike with them for a long time. And like they were much faster than us. And then we did kind of like some crazy shit. Like we actually went off trail once to go like run a marathon,
1: Yeah. <laughs> which
0: besides being like probably just a bad idea anyways, it like, it like, set us back four days from everyone that we were hiking with. So that was that was like one of the huge losses was being separated from everyone when we, when we left the trail for four days. So, you know, we did try at various times to hike with them and other people. But what we found is that putting too much effort into hiking with folks doesn't work out very well because it means you're going to be constantly going faster or slower than you want or they're going to be doing the same thing. And, and it was really amazing when we ended up like, you know, we hiked the 100-mile wilderness with them, which is the last 100 miles of the trail. And then we reminisced on how we had bumped into each other on day two, you know, and on day three. <laughs> and that's when we realized like, oh, shit, like here we are five months later, and we started this journey and we ended it together. But I don't think we could have like controlled that. Mm -hmm. I think we just had to like, you know, they have the phrase hike your own hike. I think we just had to like hike our own hike and go our own pace. I was kind of like both uh, slightly obsessed with like, Oh, is there any friends we're going to make or, or on the other side, like, Oh, we're not going to make any friends because we're a large group and going at different speeds. So I kind of like given up in various ways. But when you hike long enough, eventually you just like look up and you see like, Oh, these are people. There's always going to be people there that you've been like traveling with on these trails and they'll, it's not always who you want. It's not always who you would have chosen. So, yeah, with them, we we did have our moments. Like especially in the 100 mile wilderness, and, and there, when we caught up to them, it was months after the marathon. So this was May, June, like maybe around July. We we did set up some times where we're like, you know, if the kids saw them swimming by a lake, we would stop and then camp the night with them. You know, so there was that type of thing. But for the most part, we had our own thing going. Like we had our own schedule. And we had our own deadlines. So we had to kind of like not play by other people's dynamics.
2: Let it happen a little bit more organically.
0: Well, it just had to be internal to us. Like, I mean, in a way, nothing was organic about our through hike because we're waking up at 5 a.m. and sometimes push until 10 p.m. to get 15, 16, 17, 18, 19 miles in a day. With For our group size, was not easy. I mean, we averaged uh, 13.6 miles a day for the 161 straight days. And that's including, I think, 10 zeros. So, you know, so in a way it wasn't organic, but it was like, it wasn't, it was just like what our group needed to do because we had created a deadline for ourselves that the kids were excited about.
2: Right. That was sort of their incentive to, to keep pushing towards the end. Yeah. Now you, in your documentary, you made the comment about the degenerate specifically that I think the phrase you used was it sort of, it warmed your heart or whatever, the the interest in caring that they took with your children as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it was, um, it was huge. You know, I think because I had been on so many online bulletin boards, I got this idea that our kids were kind of a cancer to the trail. Like that was uh, a lot of the loudest voices online. And I was always like shocked at how big the discrepancy was between what we experienced in real life and what we heard online. And the degenerates and fresh ground and hops were some of the biggest, um, those were just some of our trail friends were the biggest, like it wasn't like that at all with them. I mean, they saw our kids as like, our kids were through hikers, you know, uh, It wasn't like, I don't know. It just, it wasn't like there was this class difference. And it's just like, you know, you start off in Georgia and everyone's like so brand fucking new. Like no one knows like what's going on. And it's like, it's like the first day of school and everyone's trying to impress each other. And then people start it's like a Silk camp, I guess, where people start dropping out like crazy. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, you start off with a hundred people and then in two weeks, you're down to 50. And then another two weeks, you're down to 20. Uh, so all these people who you thought, you know, were in it are no longer in it. And then you start to look around at the people who are. And I remember by the time we got through the Smokies, which was like, you know, we had hiked through waist deep snow and blizzards. And we looked around and we were like, we just respected people different than I feel like they respected us. And they were like, oh, like these guys are not like fucking around, you know, and they're not just kids. Like they are hikers. So I felt like the degenerates they just like saw us that way. Like we weren't, we weren't really like a novelty to them. We were just friends. Fellow through hikers Yeah. Yeah. Which to a through hiker there's like no greater honor than to be a through hiker you know?
1: Yeah.
0: So it's like, they just saw us as, as their own.
2: It's, uh, it's almost like a fellowship.
0: Yeah, it is. And you, you know, uh, because you need each other out there. You know, it's it's one of the reasons why I think people do the AT, probably followed by the PCT, is just the, the community uh, that you hear about. And, you know, we're sharing uh, information, we're sharing meals, we're sharing, you know, other financial resources at times. And it was cool to see, especially by the end of our hike, and there were certain people that throughout it, uh, people like the Degenerates, that just, I don't know, they, they just saw our kids like... I mean, there was, it was kind of funny, like, this is just a funny family dynamic, Is certain people would see our family and roll up, and they'd be like, oh, crap, like, <laughs> here come the kids. And I, some of it I saw, but partially I felt like there's this vibe, like, oh, I'm going to have to not say bad words, or I have mm-hmm. to, like, act all, like, act not like a thru-hiker, basically, because, you know, thru-hikers, they sit around, and they talk about shit and food and crass funny stories, and they smoke pot, and they... They do whatever thru-hikers do. It's just like, it's fun. But the the, the degenerate, they knew, oh, just treat the Crawford's just like any other hiker. <laughs> so it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't a favor to us when people placated our kids like you would, like, oh, the women and children are here. We need to, like, act respectful.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they they had hiked the same miles.
0: Yeah, they had. <laughs>
2: Which was pretty impressive, like, looking at the weather that you guys had, and you started pretty early in order to make sure that you'd finish on, you know, on time and what have you, but the weather that you guys had was, particularly at the beginning, pretty crappy.
0: Yeah, it was It was cold. We had never experienced a cold like that, and um, once again, it's one of those things, had I known about it, I'm not sure I would have done it, um, and said it was like the coldest winter and however long and I don't know if there's any real way of tracking that and more people quit than in a year you know previous yeah. years once again I don't know if there's ways of tracking that either but, but it was pretty it was the most difficult thing we went through was the weather that polls in the beginning
2: and well and the AT in general is known for its difficult weather but how how did you guys like what did you guys do Clothing wise that kind of thing for the snow that you had there
0: just layers layers our our base setup was pretty simple I mean we we hiked in one kit the entire five months. I hear people shipping stuff back and using warmer sleeping bags and colder you know we we dress layers because we have um so many people and like you know carrying my wife, she does most shopping mm-hmm. It's like, you know, we could have to find something that works and do it times eight. So <laughs> that's like, you know, so it's like, um, you know, we have shorts and a tank top or whatever. Then I'll we'll have like a shell pants uh, and a shell top, like a rain jacket, and then some sort of like insane layer, like a puppy jacket. But our, we used the Patagonian puff, so it was like not... I mean, for most people like that, wear like a down jacket that that's like some, you know, 30 degree type situation, Mm -hmm. like ours was fairly light and not very insulating compared to most people. So we were, we were cold a lot, but our thing was like, as long as you can keep your sitting bags dry and as long as you can keep on moving, you're safe, you're not going to be comfortable, but you only have to make it like a month in the cold and then you're going to be fine. So instead of like swapping out all this gear a month in, that was that's kind of been our strategy. It's pretty Spartan, pretty simple. But yeah, we were hella cold like for a while. But we're wearing every single thing that we carried with us to bed. You know, you're wearing the shell, you're wearing the 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 jacket and your gloves and your beanie. Because I think Tammy and I we only used a 45 degree quilt, and people are like blown away because they're they're using like zero degree quilts and like 30 degree and 10 degree. And it, it took a while to get to bed, to fall asleep. Like, it, sometimes it took us, like, 30 minutes to get warm. But it's either that or you buy, you know, quilt for every temperature range. And then you just, like, so there's pros and cons of either way.
2: How did you guys end up keeping your quilts or sleeping bags dry? Did you put them in dry bags? Did you put them in garbage bags?
0: I think garbage bags is our go-to. Yeah. We had a process where every single person in their backpack has a garbage bag. And that's like your most sacred thing because we were hiking through rain, like a lot of rain. And as long as, like, I don't care how wet you get during the day, as long as you can crawl into something dry and warm at night, I, I figured everyone would be safe. So yeah, that's one of the things that we take pretty seriously is that like, garbage bags kind of like, you just line your whole pack with it, like an inner membrane type of thing. And Seal it off, and we maybe had to like replace ours like once throughout the entire trail. We use like the construction grade, like thick ones,
2: yeah. So, so you basically just use one garbage bag, uh, that lined the pack, not one specifically just to hold your sleeping bag or your quilt,
0: correct? Yeah, because then it would Got keep it. our like, yeah, we'd put our um, clothes in there, and we had, I mean, we had crazy stuff like we had a laptop and we had drone because we were doing like film production like the entire time, so that stuff had to say waterproof too yeah our clothes were the most important
2: what was your favorite piece of gear
0: favorite piece of gear man uh i mean i guess like i feel bad saying this because this company like kind of sponsors us but it's just true it's like why they sponsor us it's probably like our shoes like in damascus i switched to ultra shoes and that was such a game changer to me I mean, so I, I bought these shoes in Damascus. And I think they were 140 bucks. So it was like the temp. And and within a day or two, I was like, I can't believe this, how different my feet feel. How so? Well, it felt like I was walking on clouds. Uh, <laughs> I mean, like the other shoes, and I wasn't wearing hiking boots. I was wearing trail runners. I mean, I'll just say them because I, I don't have any problem with the company. It was, it was the Merrill Ventilator. Uh, our Moab ventilator, I think, is what it's called, and I wore those for almost a decade. So they were like—it's like light hiker. It's not even a high-support boot. So it's still kind of categorized a bit as a trail runner. So like, because I, mean, I made the same mistake everyone made 15 years ago. You go to REI, and they're like, "Oh, you need a backpacking boot," and they sell you on this big-ass, like, luggy, super rigid, like, monstrosity of a thing. Then I had switched to trail runners. And then in Damascus, for whatever reason, I saw them wearing Ultras, and I bought them, and I was like, "I cannot believe this. This is so different." Like, yeah, it felt like my feet were on um, clouds, and it also felt like, like my toes just had like room. I don't know. I felt like I was cheating. So that's when we contacted Ultra, and we were like, "Hey guys, we're this family hiking community. You, you want to hook us up?" And they were like, "Sure." So they sent us like seven more pairs that we got. Uh, in Virginia. But that was, I would say that was like the biggest game changer because not having to worry about kids and feet health um, and blisters and just stuff like that. Yeah. that it's the first thing comes on my mind. It's like really the only thing comes to my mind because other gear, I don't really have a super strong opinion about.
2: Did you, did you find that the, that you didn't end up or none of you ended up having issues with blisters after that?
0: I don't think so at all, actually. Maybe once, but, you know, I mean, we're done with eight people's feet um, over <laughs> yeah. that much.
2: You have a good, you have a big test size.
0: We did. And I did a, I did a shoe review afterwards because I was like, man, we've gone through, you know, uh, I think we went through three pairs or at least two pairs of ultras per. So we went through like, you know, 14 pairs of shoes. Uh, well, 21 pairs of two shoes mm-hmm. total.
1: But No, I don't
0: think we had blisters. I mean, and of course, like shoes, you got to, everyone swears by their own thing. So you got to yeah. wear the ones that fit you or whatever. But, but their philosophy was pretty unique. And as a rule of thumb, kind of fits what we've gone for, which is the most natural hiking stride or foot position. Like kind of like a barefoot running equivalent, which is hard to do when you're hiking with rocks. and. Uh,
2: yeah. How were they in know, Pennsylvania? Wave.
0: Uh, Great. Yeah. I mean, like I said, we have a full like shoe review, so I don't want to like bore people with details, but you know, I mean, it's like, they're they're a little bit more, uh, they're a little bit more flimsy than like uh, a super robust hiking boot, but that's like, that's not their thing. Like they're, it's a lightweight form fitting uh, running shoe that you can like hike a crap ton of miles in. And feel great afterwards. So that worked out like really well for us. So yeah, we got man, I think we got five to eight hundred, maybe eight hundred miles a pair or something like that. I think our last pair we might have got closer to nine hundred to a thousand miles on. Yeah, we wore the hell out of them. Yeah, that's no, that's very good mileage, actually. (laughs) I mean, everyone out there, it's like I don't wanna sound like a an advertisement, but you know, no no through hikers are wearing boots anymore like you can tell the weekend warriors when you come into a little trail stop and then you see like these guys pull up their super oiled leather rei you know boots with full ankle support and it seemed like half if not 75 percent of the uh, return through hikers were wearing ultras that tells people anything
2: yeah no i i see a lot out there actually and i've heard a lot of people talk about them But I do, and I definitely do appreciate what you're talking about. Like my, I am in the middle of a search right now for a pair of shoes, and and not that my feet are special, but they feel very special right now as I'm trying to find a pair of shoes to that fit them that I can, you know, hike in, walk around in, that kind of thing. You know, and and one of the things that does concern me because I tried to do the running shoes with the ultras is the zero drop. And it was giving me a little bit of Achilles problem. Did any of you guys have any issues
0: with that? Well, you know, like, so we, I told you, we came back and did a marathon the time. We wore the ultras was for the marathon. So day <laughs> oh, one, we run, we run 26 miles on them, and we had all sorts of problems because we hadn't run in months. And then we do the marathon and yeah, I mean, there was an adjustment period for sure. I, I remember when I walked in the ultras, uh, for days there was like, like my, um, my toes were sore and I was like, that's so weird. Like my toes are sore. Like I didn't even know I used my toes, but that was kind of the philosophy behind it is it uses these muscles in your feet that don't get activated when your feet are kind of like crammed together. So anyhow, regardless if it's a good shoe for you, if it's going to be for the type of shoes, most people wear, there's going to be a massive adjustment period. I think so, yeah, to know you have to give it a a, uh, a while, I would assume.
2: Yeah, well, and and that's what I'm trying to do is is do some walking with them and kind of see how they how my how my feet situate, so to speak.
0: Yeah, and that'll be different even on trail and when you carry weight. And,
2: yeah. Oh so. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my, my body is is. So so partly behind me getting on the PCT is I'm turning 50 this year. And my body, you know, I'm trying to start walking around a little bit with a heavier pack or a, a pack with some weight in it. And that's been quite the adjustment. And it's so interesting the amount of extra work that is required when you start putting actual weight on your back.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, just like walking is miserable. <clears throat> When walking was fun. When as soon as you have weight, it's like, yeah, getting up is is terrible. Yep. You know, you just get. What I love about the trail is you just get used to anything. That's what we learned. And you know, even your pack day one. You know, you pull it out of the. At least, I mean, for us, it wasn't the AT so much as other trails. We pull our packs out, and you cannot believe that you have to carry this thing for any amount of distance. But then by the end. It's like all you know and it's kind of like your friend and I don't know that's it, it you get used to anything I guess is what I'm saying mm-hmm. uh for that first day is is rough
2: And now or, or when you got off the trail it felt you felt a little naked not
0: having to wear that thing around Well we would we would eventually end up getting uh slack packed.
2: That was fresh grounds right
0: well, it happened before that. Freshman helped us in the 100-mile wilderness with slack packing, really for the first time. He didn't really do much slack packing for people, but he took for us in that kind of weird instance. But it happened in Pennsylvania for us, which is like, I guess about halfway through. We had, we had not done it because we were like, you know, everyone has to kind of like stick with their code or whatever. And that was ours. We we're like, we're not paying anyone to slack pack. And then people started to offer to do it to us for free. And this one family that we were staying with, they said, hey, why don't you stay at our house two days in a row, and in the middle day, you can do this eight-mile section or something. And we did it without our packs, and I could not believe it. I mean, it was like we were on vacation. And, and we're, I mean, we're walking on the AT. We're still, like, grinding out the miles, but the kids were running. Everyone was laughing. It was, like, the most amazing thing. And the, the difference was we weren't carrying our packs. And it just felt so, I mean, it's hard to explain. It felt like we had wings. So we like ran this eight miles. We arrived like 30 minutes early. We did it in like two hours. And uh, it just felt so good. So from then on, we said, we're not going to turn down. If people offer us slack packing, we're not going to turn it down. So that became kind of our new rule going forward. And a number of people helped us with slack packing.
2: It was like the universe provided. Absolutely.
0: Oh, was totally <laughs> But I think we're, yeah, we had to be at a place where, you know, people say no to that stuff. And I think we had said no to it a number of times, but I don't know. Like I said, there's, everyone has their little codes for what they feel right about. And I think at that time we were like, you know, I think we were more willing to let people help us. I think in the beginning we felt like more we had to do on our own and Towards the end or the middle, we started to see, like, oh, people want to be a part of our journey. Like, people had seen our YouTube videos. So it was like, oh, we shouldn't let them. And it was like, to get eight miles in and they come back to a hot shower and have the kids love us and to feel rested the next day and still get eight. I mean, eight miles is not a mean, For a tiger, it's not a big deal. But for us around here, eight miles is still, like, crushing it. So it was just one of those morale game changers. I mean, that was another huge one. That was, like that probably changed our trip so
2: way. How long, or I guess maybe the better question is when did you start allowing people to help or to become part of the part of the story almost of how you guys got from point A to point B?
0: Well, I guess I don't want to pay myself for something to that if we like turned a bunch of people down because I think what started to happen was people started to, like our YouTube videos started to pick up traction and more and more people started to offer us help. And we didn't really turn, I I don't know if we turned anyone down. It was kind of a logistical nightmare like people would send me an address of where they live and I would have no idea. I mean, I didn't have internet on the trail and I wouldn't know like, well, if you live here, like how far is that from the trailer? I mean, you know, there's all this like navigation that it can be kind of a headache. There's like, the trail markers and then once you get off trail it's like freeways and i was like i don't know freeways so uh but fairly like as early as virginia we started to get a pretty massive amount of offers of people offering to bring us meals pick us up and let us stay at their house and you know when you a a big question people ask us is like well how did you screen them or how did you know if they're safe well when you sleep in the rain if they have electricity and hot water, you're just like, I'm sure it's going to be fine. (laughs) That's like everything becomes less strict out there. It just doesn't matter. And so we just, that was how we rolled was, we just kind of said yes to everyone and just had a whole string of amazing experiences. And yeah, I think, you know, the times where it was weird, this is the times when it was weird, I guess, but some people would want to drive like three hours, or longer to bring us a meal. And I would think, first of all, there's like a town there. So like we could buy a meal for fifty bucks. But you're driving three hours, which means you have to drive three hours back, which means you're driving six hours for 50 bucks. Like that doesn't make any sense. So I felt like I should just say no and be like, we'll just we'll just buy the meal for 50 bucks. You know, thanks for the offer. But we said yes to people because we started to see that them being a part of our journey or them supporting our through hike was their way of through hiking themselves in a way, or, you know, maybe, I don't know exactly what they were so excited about with us, whether it was like their little vantage point into the AT or whether they really liked what we were doing with family or what, but we started to see that not only would we get something out of it when people brought us a meal, but they would get something out of it. They would consistently say, oh, they were inspired or they were encouraged, kind of encouraged by our videos or they wanted to meet us. So those were the types of things that we, yeah, we just consistently said yes to. And and sometimes it was weird because I was like, man, is it, you want to drive six hours to bring us a meal? But I don't think that was our decision to make. Like we could have said no, but like, it feels kind sort of weird. It takes some sort of moral high ground it's be like, "Oh, you shouldn't want this. Like, this isn't valuable to you." Like, I don't think I get to decide that about other people. Like, if it's worth it for them,
2: it's sort of the the I guess eternal question of why do trail angels do what they do?
0: Yeah, you
2: know? and I think every That's every person gets something different out of it.
0: Totally. Yeah, and the trail just becomes a cool place for those people to kind of rub shoulders and meet. Because I think everyone hiking in the trail's hiking for different reasons too. The only thing they have in common is they they all kind of like think outside the box a little bit, at least for our society because if you're out there, you're not a normal person like by society <laughs> standards so that you know that that's kind of our type also so that's kind of fun yeah, yeah, so
2: of the eight of you, who would be maybe open to doing another through hike at some point in their, in their lives?
0: Well, I think everyone, uh, the only exception that I hear is my son, seven, 15 year old. He says he doesn't want to do it, but I don't, I kind of believe him. And then I kind of don't, <laughs> but everyone else like, so there's. I mean, I don't want to like get into plans too much just because with family life plans, I like, change a lot. Mm-hmm. But we've been talking about the PCT like very seriously. And like, actually up until this last week, we were planning on doing it in 2021. And then I think we kind of had the realization, oh, uh, with Rainier's age, I like, think you know, it makes such a drastic difference in at least on five. Yeah. And uh, a twenty twenty one is a long way away for eight people. I mean, so much can happen that we are leaning towards that. And I think You know, I I think our family, for the most part, most of the members know that there's like, there's too much good that can happen from it to say no. I mean, one of the consistent things that we saw on our trail, our hike was the number of old people that would come up to us and say, and it was almost always old people. They would say, I wish we would have done this. If I could do it over differently, I would do exactly what you're doing. And then they'd like look at the kids and say something like your parents get it. Or they'd say something like that. Like I said, it was always the old people and it was really fascinating to see that, that here hear these people that have reached the end of their life. You know, they've done the things they've retired, they've made the money, they've traveled and here they are saying that this is the thing they wish they would have done more of, which is walking with their kids. So I think our kids saw that, you know, and I think our kids understand the value of this type of simple activity um, and what it can do for them, yeah. which is cool. It's cool. Have, I feel like I played a part in exposing them to that. You know, we didn't show them all that. Like, we didn't do that. Um, but we took them to a place where they could see it. And that's what I'm, that's one of the things I'm most proud about, I guess, is that we had a role in that.
2: You, you put the opportunity in front of them. And then the opportunity provided, so to speak. Absolutely. Yeah. It was, it was pretty funny to see Rainier's transition through the AT, you know, where he starts out pretty much in the pack and then, you know, he's out there clambering over the rocks as well by the time you're finished.
0: Yeah. I mean, for him, six months, he was two. So that was like 25% of his life has been out there at that time. Yeah. Uh, Oh so, yeah, he went, he went through a massive shift.
2: I, I see him being a triple crowner.
0: <laughs> it's, uh, it's definitely possible. I mean, really for all the kids, but yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up wanting to do more. And all the kids, they talk about that kind of stuff. I mean, just cause it's like, it's the world that they were raised in. They know these types of things are possible.
2: It's so interesting because so many people that I talk to, they do the first one and, and the, and at that point, really what they're focused on is the first one. But in doing the first one, it gets in their blood and now they're looking for the next fix. When is the next time that they're going to get on trail?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's to me, it's we, we experienced backpacking mostly from the Wonderland trail which is the 93 and a 95 mile loop around Mount Rainier in, in Washington state, which was our home state. And we did it the first year we did it when our kids were two, four, six, and eight. So I carried our two-year-old on my shoulders the entire way. And, and it rained for nine straight days and everyone <laughs> quit the trail. Um, in fact, we brought an adult to support us, to help us. And she quit on day two. Um <laughs> taking one of our tents with us. So then we had, but but it hadn't started raining yet. So we're like, well, we'll be fine. Then it started raining and we had, we had one two man tent for all six of us. And we hiked for the next nine days through the rain because we were like, I don't know how to say it. I guess we were like too dumb to know you could quit. Like the thought never even like really occurred to us. Everyone else was quitting though, but we're like, we're not going to quit. We just, we just did it. And it was miserable. And then, but someone that picked us up for the trail, a friend of mine, he said, "You guys are different now." And it was—I think it was twelve days total. It was only twelve. Only twelve days had passed, and he said, "You guys are different than when you started the trail. Already, I can see it." And as every, as always happens with miserable hiking trips. You know, you get warm, you wash clothes, you eat a meal or two, you eat some donuts. You're like, you know, you kind of forget about what the misery felt like, but you remember that it happened and you remember the, the laughs and you remember the feelings and the smiles and how we cried when we finished it and all those things. And so sure enough, like next year, we went back and memory who was two the previous year, now she was three and she walked the entire thing. Maybe, maybe like, minus 10 miles. And the reason was, was because that change that that friend had observed and said was different in our family. We couldn't find it anywhere else. At this time, I was making a significant amount of money. I was very successful in business. And we could go to uh, Hawaii or the Bahamas or Disneyland or wherever, like we could afford any type of vacation at that time. But whenever we came back from like Disney, everyone was like more like cranky and worn out. Like, I don't know how to explain it except for we weren't like better friends after the trip than before. Not to say it wasn't fun, but it just wasn't the same. Something okay. about what we'd experienced as nine days in the rain, it actually made us better people or better family or something. We didn't know how to articulate it yet, but so so long story short, we kept on going back to that trail. We did it five out of seven years the Wonderland. And it was it was always like a two-week thing. It wasn't like a major, you know, it wasn't like a through hike in the way. It was major for the Pacific Northwest, but it wasn't like the Opposition trail. But we always wanted more of that thing. We had seen too many valuable things come of it to just walk away from it. So that's what eventually, I think, took us to the AT and why we're still interested in the scene is because we've seen it you know any any type of activity or environment that strips down people to their base desires and needs and wants um, and communities i'm a fan of and what i saw it do to our family and not just our family but the friendships that we developed on the trail i was like man i i don't think we can do that at disney world Uh, If we were the richest people in the world, I don't think we could do that. But we did it, you know, for $10 a day on the AT. So, yeah.
2: Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you feel like we should at this point?
0: It
1: was.
0: (laughs) The pressure of it now. I mean, there's always more that can be said. I know. But, you know, I guess, you know, the one thing I heard from people so much and maybe the comments or our videos or in real life as they look at us because you know I don't know if you've gone over the stats but we had eight people and we did finish in five months and nine days and I think we set the record for the largest family and people hear about that and they think oh I could never do that they say that's crazy that's like you guys are um, like a different status of people or parents and they say my kid would' cry in the parking lot when I'm trying to take him into the mall and I would say to those people, our kids cried in the parking lot on the way to the mall. Like we're not different. Like we're actually the same. It wasn't like so much our ability that I don't think made us who we are. Although I think we do have some abilities. I think it was the environment. Um, like we became like superstars. And everyone that finishes the through hike does, you know, like yeah. you look at their muscles, you look at their attitudes You look at their pain tolerances, their comfort levels, their gratitude levels. And it's like, it's through the roof. It's like, what happens to you? You don't have to start off that way. In fact, I don't know if you can. So, but with kids, I think people, I I hear them discount their kids, almost like they're blaming them. They're like, well, my kid's a spoiled brat. Like, we couldn't do that. And I'm like, well, in a way, like all kids are spoiled brats and all Americans are like I was. Um, but when we go out there and when we as parents are willing to see our kids uncomfortable and ourselves and our spouses, amazing things can happen. So I'm like really a fan of, first of all, stop blaming your kid. If you don't want to, if you're not comfortable seeing your kids own that and say that it really pisses me off when people blame their kids for not going. Because what I've seen more often than not, I oh man, I you're getting me excited, but what I've seen more <laughs> often than not is is people are comfortable with what their kids can do or with their kids being uncomfortable. So they protect their kids and themselves, which I'm fine with as long as you admit that to say that, but also just know on the other side of that, you know, we went through, I don't want people to think if you've seen our videos or if you like, when our book comes out, there's a lot of tears. There was a lot of tears, you know, uh, there was a lot of frustration. There was a lot of heartache. There was a lot of bug bites and, um, confusion. Uh, you know, we, we didn't like skip that. Some of the video editing makes it look like we did, but we didn't. And <laughs> you our kids cried. got the full cried. experience. We did. And our, our kids cried in the parking lot too, a lot. But we just said, okay, you can cry. Are you ready? We're going to keep on going. Cause we believe you can keep on going. Um, and we put ourselves in environments where we had to keep on going. So, yeah, that that's my encouragement. Because I think, you know, you have a lot of three-hikers on here, but my guess is the family piece is probably a little bit more unique. So yeah. that's why I wanted to speak to that, specifically with kids. You're not going to get out there. In our culture, you're not going to get out there hiking without tears. Like, I, I don't see it happening.
2: Yeah. There's going to be tears from a family perspective. So there's supposed to be, gonna be tears in the children, but there's also probably going to be tears, tears in the parents.
0: Oh, we all cried. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we all cried. <laughs> but we cried together. You know that's what was cool. Like everyone always cries. Like at home, yeah. Uh, we just had stuff that for the first time in our life, we were like devastated and excited by the same things.
2: Which is an amazing
0: gift. Yeah, it really was. I mean, I can't think of that anything like it.
2: <laughs> Where should people find you to follow the continuing adventures? And or if they have any questions about through hiking or that kind of thing with with a large family, kids, that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah. So, um, I mean, the, hopefully the timing with this podcast works out where the book that we've been working on for a year or two now should be out and it's come 2000 miles together, And it probably has the most like in-depth explanation of what went on behind the scenes in terms of our mindset point where we were able to through hike and finish there's also like you referenced a little bit but there's a documentary on youtube we made that i'm like really proud of and i think does a really good job of showing just like how a lot of it felt um and our youtube channel is called fight for together so it's one of our top videos on our youtube channel so you can find that there and uh i don't know we're on instagram and other places if you just type in fight for together that's kind of like channel name that we We kind of set out with this mission a while ago, back when we started YouTube, of like showing people that all these things that people are doing um, alone, like marathons or what ended up being the Appalachian Trail even, are maybe better done together with the people that you care about the most. Um, So that was kind of our experiment or hypothesis. with doing
2: (laughs) A grand experiment.
0: Yeah, (laughs) it really was. When does your book come out? You know, that is the question. Um, (laughs) uh, I would, I'm hoping like two months from now. So what are we in Um, middle of March, uh, March, April, middle of May, but I could see it being June, July also. Okay. So it's just, it's taken a lot longer than I had hoped, but every time it gets better and better and I'm like, well, what are you going to do?
2: The editing process is fun.
0: It is. Yeah, it really is because it, I think, I mean, this is kind of the same thing that happened with our videos was we got off the trail and I did not like, we were all a bit, um, traumatized, I would say, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: um, like our weight, our, our energy levels, like, and we'd just been walking for five straight months. So when we got off the trail, no one wanted to think about the trail or talk about it. And then I forget when it was, it was months later we started editing the video together and it wasn't until we finished this video and I started showing it to the kids that I think we were able again to look at our journey and be like, Oh damn, like that was awesome. (laughs) And I was a part of that. And that was the video. And in the same way with the book editing, there's a, you know, this process that comes out that every time I write and edit I'm like seeing the story from another angle and coming to appreciate things that we went through in ways I never have. So, yeah, it has been a very valuable process.
2: And it probably, I would guess, in the editing process, maybe brought up layers of memories that you don't necessarily have going through it the first time.
0: Oh, so many. Yeah, it's absolutely crazy. You know, I mean, that's where like, I mean, it's like a perfect story in a way that you couldn't even imagine. Like, you know, one thing on day three, we get our first trail magic and it's a guy named MacGyver. And we don't care what his name is because he's just serving like uh, <laughs> sausage and eggs. And we're like, I'm going to eat that. And he's telling us his story. And he says, oh, there is this guy that gave trail magic to me here years ago. His name was Fresh Grim. We're not even listening to him. We're just like eating his food. And then come to find out, like, you know, you already told about Fresh Ground, but Fresh Ground is this trail angel that ends up supporting us at least for the last 100 miles, really a little bit more than that. And makes our 100-mile wilderness experience, uh, it was basically like a party with the degenerates where for a 100 miles, I think we did it in... I don't remember if it was like five days or six or seven days. We had of our 14 meals, 12 of the meals were provided by Fresh Ground and the 100 mile wilderness. Which I didn't even know it was possible. I didn't even know he could get cars back there. And he walked access the entire way. And, but yet you hear about this guy on day two, but it doesn't register. Like we didn't know and we didn't care. But then when I'm going back and I'm reading the journals and I'm watching the video footage, I'm like, Holy crap. And then we find out from the degenerates, oh, they met us on day two also. There are these people that, like, there's so many details going on that it just doesn't register until after you see the story complete and you're like, holy crap, like, you know. I mean, it's like, it's just ridiculous. It's like so much fun, though.
2: The universe works in mysterious ways.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's wild. It's wild.
2: for Ben's episode can be found on our website at hiking-through.com. A special thanks to Ben for sharing his stories from the trail. And uh, don't forget to check out his book, 2,000 Miles Together, over on Amazon. And a special thanks to Maya Win for the use of the song Try Again. On next week's episode, I'll be talking with Alisa Goldberg, known on Instagram as Goldilocksagogo, about her flip, flip, flopping PCT thru-hike. I hope that this conversation these conversations, inspire you to get out there and have a few hiker trash moments of your own. I'll see you on the trail.